That's mocking. He's enduringly strong. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a prince of princes. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. That's my king. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here this morning and to be together in worship. Thank you for the prayers. Uh, many of you wrote me and my family notes and encouragement over the past week, I'm sure, for John and for, for all the rest of them that had COVID. Uh, we are just grateful uh, for the ministry you extended to us. I want you to be praying for Gordon. He still got COVID. Christy Howard, uh, Josh, our church planner's wife, still has COVID. So just be in prayer. We still got a few staff that have it. I'm sure there are some members as well out there that have it. So just uh, remember them. And, and here's the thing about Gordon. Many, many of us in this room have been so blessed blessed by his encouragement and his visits and his cards and the way that he does pastoral care here. What a great chance for us to just minister back to him. So if you get a chance this week, write him a note, give him a call, uh, find a way to just uh, encourage him. And I know that would just uh, mean so much to he and, and to his family. So thank you for the prayers and for all that you did. And thank you to Kevin last week. Uh, how many of y'all knew Kevin could preach? Did, did anybody? Yeah, see, uh, Kevin, I, I insisted when we brought in a music minister, I insisted that, because uh, everybody was like, well, you know, we just got to find a musician. And I said, listen, I don't want a musician. I want a pastor. I want somebody that's going to come in and pastor these people and, and loves and is passionate about the gospel and the word of God. And we got that with Kevin Bragg because he is much more than a guy behind a piano. He is much more than a person who just sings and leads us in worship. He is a shepherd to us. And I am grateful. I love on the Sundays that I'm going to be gone to just kind of throw out there, hey, who wants to preach? Because you wouldn't believe how those guys fight over who gets to preach uh, in this room on Sunday morning. So uh, I was grateful that he finally had the opportunity to lead us, and, and, and uh, God just used him last week. So we are going to begin where he left off last week in Colossians chapter 4, and we're finishing up the book of Colossians this morning, and, and the whole book of Colossians, we've been talking about how the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all, he's, he's King of kings. The reality is that from the very beginning of this book, we found that he was the one who created, he was the one who sustains. Jesus Christ is nothing less than God in the flesh. When we think about Jesus, I want you to know that, that literally he is Savior. He, just all the things that you could think about, this book has shown us and displayed for us who Jesus is. In the last few weeks, we kind of turned a corner and we went from understanding that if this is Jesus and this is what he promises and this is his power and this is his might and this is who he is and what he does, what does that look like in our personal lives? And in chapter three, we started talking about the fact that this Jesus, this one who is supreme, he transforms lives. He saves us, and He changes us, and He equips us, and He sends us out, and, and He does a miracle in the hearts and lives of people. That's the Jesus that we serve. And literally, we saw a few weeks ago that as we began chapter 3, we started saying that, you know what, it, it happens in us when we take off that which is old. 
Because of the cross, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can take off that old life, that old man. We take off those old ways, and the Bible says that we can put on the new, that literally we can lay aside things like anger and we can pick up love. We, we can lay aside the hopelessness that's in our life and we can pick up hope. We, we can take fighting and, and, and we have all these things like jealousy and envy. And he says, you know what? You can put that away and you can pick up peace. It's a beautiful thing to realize that Jesus really is in the business of transforming lives. And it's not just theoretical. Last week, what Kevin brought to the table and what he shared with you was that it's not just theoretical, these things that are happening. They, they happen in real life. They make a difference in our families. They make a difference in the places that we work. If you remember uh, last week, you talked about how putting on this new life in Christ, how it looks at home, how it looks at work, how it looks with our children, how it looks in our marriages. And so we have this reality that the change that, that is affected in us it plays out in our day-to-day -day life. And then you get to this chapter, and suddenly you almost think that he switches gears and he starts talking about prayer as if it's a different subject. Folks, it's not a different subject. Today we're going to talk about, because Christ is supreme, we ought to be devoted to certain things. A devotion ought to be a word that is used to describe a believer, that, that we so love God, we so recognize His supremacy, His greatness, His glory, that we give everything that we have to know Him, to follow Him, and to serve Him. And folks, if you want to really live out the Christian life, He's going to say, listen, if you want to put on and put off all these things, if you want to see transformation at home and at work and the way that you live in every relationship, if you want to see lost people saved, if you want to see the church encouraged and ministered to, you know what he's going to say today? He says, then you need to devote yourself to prayer. So much of the Christian walk, Christ is asking us to be devoted to prayer and to be devoted to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a lot of what he's going to deal with today. And let me tell you why prayer is important. is because we are a dependent people, are we not? How many of y'all have ever gone to school one day and you didn't study for the test, but what did you do? You prayed and you asked God, God, please, please let me pass this test. Well, you're not the first one to ever do that. There was a young man who literally went to school one day and he hadn't studied for his test. And on the way to school, he did what all of us do. He was begging God. He was pleading with God, assist me, help me. Please, Jesus, give me the answers for this test. I cannot fail this test. He takes the test and he really doesn't know how he did and the teacher at the end of the test said something that she usually didn't say. She said, I need y'all to do something today. I want you to flip your paper over. And on the back, if you can say this honestly, you need to sign that sheet of paper. And this is what I'm asking you today. I need to know that you didn't cheat and that no one assisted you on this test today. And if you can affirm that, then put it on the back of that piece of paper. Well, obviously the child was sitting there in his mind and his concrete thinking. He's like, well, I did ask God for help. I did ask for his assistance, and so he goes to the teacher and says, listen, I don't know if I can sign this in good conscience because, listen, I'll be honest, I prayed. I asked God for assistance today. I don't think I can put my name on this. And the teacher said, well, let me see the test. And so she took the test, and she flipped it over and looked at all the answers, and she said, son, you can sign it. God did not assist you today, I can assure you. <laughs> Anybody been there? Oh, yeah. We get desperate, don't we? We recognize in our life how badly we need Jesus. And so it brings us to a point of 
desperation, where, where we look at God and we say to him, you know what? I need you to be what I can't be. I need you to do what I can't do. Lord Jesus, I need your strength because I am weak. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about is why are we devoted? Why should we be devoted? What should we be devoted to? If the truth is that the Savior we serve is supreme, then should we devote ourselves to him? Well, let me go ahead and give you the answer. Yes. Yes, he's worthy. So as we begin this uh, chapter, let's look at uh, chapter 4. We're beginning in verse 2. Kevin, I believe, went all the way through 1 last week. And so we begin in verse 2, and it says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, church, think about that. Normally we think about devotion, we think of devoting ourselves to Christ, but here he says that it's important that as a Christian, yes, you devote yourself to me, but devote yourself also to prayer. He says, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open a door for us for the word, and so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all of my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, he will bring you information, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful, our beloved brother who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he sends you his greetings. Also Barnabas, his cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, he sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And also Demas, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha the ch uh, in the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. As I said, this issue of prayer isn't removed from chapter 3, and it's not removed from everything that is in chapter 4. It is there as a reminder that change happens, that God moves, that miracles happen when we pray. And when I talk about miracles, I want you to know that the greatest miracle that can occur in a life is salvation. The greatest miracle that can occur in this world is when one who was dead comes back to life. When a sinner becomes a saint. And folks, if we're going to follow Christ, number one, we have to hear Christ's call for devotion. Now let's talk about the definition of devotion. Devotion defined. The word devote, we need to understand that it means to adhere firmly to something. 
Okay, so when you are devoted to something, you adhere to it. It's almost like you're glued to it. It's almost like you, you can't be separated from it. Another way to think about when we talk about being devoted to something, it, 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 it kind of denotes or implies this unrelenting persistence, and it is the opposite of what we talk about when we say something is hit or miss, right? You ever hear the term, something is hit or miss? It means that there's not a consistency with it, but we've been called to be persistent in our devotion to God. We've been called to be persistent in our devotion to prayer, it means to adhere to. Now, if you guys love sports, there's another way to think about this idea of devotion and being devoted to God and being devoted to prayer. Most of you know what it is to be devoted to a sports team. Listen, it doesn't really make a difference for some of you out there, whether you're UNC fans, whether you're PAC fans, whether you're, I mean, we got Cowboy fans over here, we've got Eagles fans over here, you know, I mean, you know what the reality is? That you tend to stick, hey, you'll quit eyeballing each other, look up here. <laughs> you know what the reality is? Uh, what I've found is most people are committed to their teams no matter what happens with that team. They're there to celebrate when they have the victories. They may get angry and they may be upset when their team loses. But at the end of the day, the next game comes and guess what? They flip on the TV and they watch it again. And they are just as committed to that team as they were the week before, regardless of what has occurred. And folks, that is the way our life ought to be in devotion to Jesus Christ. If you want to know the way our life should look, there are many people that with the up and down of life, literally you see them approach God and get far from God. They come close to God and they get distance from God, all depending on whether or not God is doing the things that he thinks they should do. We aren't as devoted sometimes to Jesus as we are our own sports teams. Not through the thick and thin. Not through the good and the bad times. And to be devoted, literally, by definition, means that we are adhered to. Our walk with Christ cannot be hit and miss. When we think about it, we have the, the testimony of Acts 2.42, which we're actually going to preach about next week. I want you to remember what it says there. It says that the body of Christ, listen, it says that they were devoted, and they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were stuck they were adhered to. They were committed to sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. It was a priority for them. It says that they were devoted to the fellowship of believers. The church mattered to them. When the church gathered, listen, they weren't even gathering just on Sundays. It said that every day they were gathering together and they were breaking bread and they were fellowshipping and they were devoted to prayer and they were devoted to teaching. These were a people that their walk with Jesus, it took priority. It wasn't something that whatever was left over, I'll, I'll, I'll offer it up to God. It was that they wanted to give God first. They wanted to give God priority. They wanted to recognize that this God that we serve, he is supreme and he is worthy of all that we are. They wanted it, and so they went after it, so to speak. Let me ask, is that your attitude towards your walk with Jesus, that you desperately want it and you go after it? Even when it's hard, even when things may not be working out the way that you want them to, though some weeks seem like you win, some weeks seem like you lose, is that all that it takes for you to walk away from Jesus and to not be devoted to Him? Devotion. It's not only defined, but it's also demanded in Scripture. You say, how can devotion be demanded? I want you to be clear that throughout the Scripture, 
That Jesus puts demands on us through His Word. God puts demands on us through His Word about our devotion to Him. He says, listen, it is a command to us. You shall what? Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Basically, that is a way of saying that you are to be devoted to me entirely. With everything that you have, with all that you are, you are to be devoted to me. That's called, we call that the what? The greatest commandment. And a commandment is instruction. A commandment is expected. A commandment is demanded of us. And he's saying that, listen, you missed the whole purpose of your life. You don't understand why you were created if you don't understand that it was for His glory and so that you might enjoy Him forever, so that you might worship Him forever, so that you might have a deep personal walk and relationship that takes up every piece of your being. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He turns around and says, and you also have to what? You have to love your neighbors and love others as yourself. And let me ask you a question. What is the greatest enemy to our love for God? It's the thing that isn't even mentioned in that list. Anybody pick up on what it is? You and me. You know what we are most devoted to in this life? Ourselves. Go all the way back to the garden. It was a sin of self. It's pride. It's believing that I'm better and I know better than God and I get to decide my destiny. I get to make my choices. I get to decide what's right or wrong. I get to decide what the penalty is. I, 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 a life that is filled with nothing but I. And when you think about what Christ is demanding of us, he takes I out of the equation and he says, no, your life is to be committed in two ways. You devote yourself to loving me with all that you've got and you love others. And then he doesn't even mention who. Doesn't even mention yourself. And let me tell you why that is. Let me give you the good news in that. Because you're like, well, that don't sound right. Jesus Christ has already declared his love for you. When you stop, because there's a part of us there that wants to go, well, then who's going to love me, right? If you read those two commandments, who's going to love me then? Didn't Jesus already answer with the cross? I love you. How can you say I don't love you? I take care of the birds of the air. I take care of the lilies of the field. You think I don't see you? Don't worry about you because who's already worrying about you? Jesus is. I mean, that's the good news. He's not saying you don't matter. He's not saying no one cares about you. He's not saying that you are nothing. What he's saying is, listen, I loved you when you were a sinner. I love you with a love that you cannot fathom. I will care for you. You are my child. I am your father. I am your God. And listen, the last person you need to worry about is you because I've already got you. And so why does he even have to put it in there? And he says, so let me tell you what to focus on. Devote yourself to me. Devote yourself to others. You're covered. Isn't that good news, church? Don't let the devil whisper in your ear. Then where does that leave you? It leaves you loved. We have a covenant with God, and I can promise you this. God will not fail in his covenant. 
It's a promise that he made. It's a promise that he will keep. When he says, I will be with you always, what does that mean? I will be with you always. When he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. When he says that he's good for every promise, he is good for every single promise that he has given to you. When he says, I'll care for you, he'll care for you. And so what does he say? It's defined, it's demanded. And so our devotion also, at the end of the day, it has to be displayed. You know when you love somebody, don't you? Anybody really can look at your life if you'll let them in. And in a matter of a day, they can probably tell you what you were most devoted to. Your time will tell them. Your checkbook will tell them. Your emotions will tell them. Everything about your life will show what matters the most and, and where your true devotion lies. Is it to God? Is it to others? Or is it to yourself? Your life will scream it. And don't think for a second that it's not going to be displayed because it will become obvious. That's why it says in so many places throughout Scripture, it'll say things like the fruit of the Spirit is obvious. If you want to know if you're living in Christ, letting His Spirit have control in your life, He says, well, the fruit of the Spirit, it's obvious. He says it shows itself. You can't deny it. Don't you know when a person is either angry or loving? Isn't that a pretty much a dichotomy? I mean, isn't that, I mean that's, that's, you, you can't mistake the two. When a person is patient or impatient, when a person is kind or mean-spirited, there's no misunderstanding about those two things. And listen, our lives, we're going to say this in a minute, this is why it's so important is that we have to realize that our lives is a book. It is the Bible that the world is trying to read. And it is really obvious what we're devoted to. You can say whatever you want. Your life will tell the tale. You can say, I believe God. Well, then your life will show whether you believe God. I have faith in God. Well, your life will show whether you have faith in, in God. The world will know whether your words mean something or your words mean nothing. Because devotion is ultimately displayed but secondly, I want you to see Christ's call to devoted prayer. He calls us to devotion, but then part of that devotion, he begins to nail it down. And he says, you should be devoted to prayer, to myself, but also to prayer. And, and really the reason that prayer is so vital to our walk with God is when you think about being devoted, most times we think about devotion in this life, we think about marriage, right? I mean, that's what the whole thing about marriage is. The two become one. I mean, that's pretty much when it says adhere to something. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? You took two people, they became one. It's like two pieces of plywood, liquid nails all over it, and, and you put them together, it's going to set, and those two will never come apart whole again. For all practical purposes, now they're one. They're adhered to each other at this point. And he's saying that's what marriage should be. That's what our walk with Jesus should be. And he says this is why prayer is important, because if our, if our walk with Jesus is a relationship then the question becomes, how much time do you ever spend really talking to God? That's why he says devotion is important. And he says that prayer is the biggest part of devotion. Because I can tell you this, if you're married and you never talk to your spouse, your marriage isn't healthy. If you never spend time together, your marriage 
isn't healthy. And for a relationship with God to work, you've got to allow Him to speak, which means you've got to get in the Word of God. And then after He has spoken, you respond in prayer to Him. Don't think for a second God doesn't speak to me. Yes, He does. Well, He doesn't speak out loud. Well, then read your Bible out loud. Because He does speak through His Word. And He does have a word for you, and He does want to grow you. But you've got to take time to listen, and not just listen, but once you've listened, you've got to respond. Nothing drives you crazier as a parent than when you talk to your children, and they just... Did you hear what I said? What'd I say? I don't know, something about take the trash. I don't know. Or worse yet, you're talking to them and they fall asleep. You realize, okay, this isn't healthy. Something's not good. Somebody's going to get beat up. But that's how we are with our walk with Jesus. Is that we say we have a relationship, but we don't pray. Prayerlessness is rampant within the church today. We'll stay busy a million other ways. But prayer is the one thing that always seems to go out the window first. He says, listen, it ought not be that way. Be devoted to prayer. Don't bail on it. Don't give up on it. Be faithful to do it. Even in those times where it seems like it's dry, in those days where your faith seems like it's weak, I want you to hear me say, don't stop praying. That's when we should pray the most. That's when we should persevere in prayer. And so what does he say about prayer? He says, we must be watchful. You know what that simply means? I love his terminology here because he's really just saying, stay alert. It ought to put us back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when the disciples were praying with Jesus or they were supposed to be? And Jesus said, listen, I mean, he knows he's facing the crucifixion. Jesus is sweating blood, right? I mean, Jesus is, I mean, this, this, think about Jesus on the front of the boat in the middle of the storm. He's sleeping. He has no concern. And yet when he gets to the garden, he says, I am in anguish. His, the depths of his soul, thinking about God turning his back on him, thinking about the one who knew no sin suddenly taking sin for us, and now God can't look upon him because he's bearing our sin. It was almost too much for Jesus to consider that God's wrath was going to be poured out on him. He'd never known God's wrath. And he's sitting there, and he, he says, Guys, I just need one thing for you, from you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. And every time he would go and he'd pray and he'd come back, what were the disciples doing? He'd wake him up and say, dude, seriously? That's the modern translation. I don't know if Jesus said dude. <laughs> he would have today. What are y'all doing? Can't you tarry with me one hour? Can't you be alert and pray for one hour? You see, the reality was they didn't understand that spiritual warfare, this was the greatest moment in history. This was when everything would change. They thought they were just in a garden. They thought they were just walking with Jesus. They forgot that at any moment, at any time, God may do amazing, crazy things that change history and change the world, and it changes eternity. And they were asleep. They were missing it. Let me tell you why they were missing it. Think about if you had two types of guards. 
You have one set of guards. You know what? They've been told, we want you to go guard the armory over in Zebulun. And then you have another set of guards that they've been told, we want you to go to one of the bases and the forward operating bases in the middle of Afghanistan, and we want both of you to keep watch. Let me ask you a question. Which one is going to really keep watch the best? Afghanistan. Why? Because they are in the middle of a battlefield, and there ain't nothing happening in Z-Town. Ain't nobody coming after the armory down there, right? See, that's the difference in alertness with believers. Is some of us realize that we are in a battle spiritually, that eternity is what is up for grabs. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about the souls of humanity. We're talking about the people that we love, our neighbors, the people that we work with, go into a real hell because they don't know Jesus. And some of us are going to be serious about prayer because we realize that life isn't a playground. We want it desperately to be a playground. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. In this 70 years, we do battle for the souls of men, and it'll show in your prayer life. He says you have to be watchful. You have to work against those things that distract, those things that hinder. Is there anybody in this room that hadn't fallen asleep praying? You know what I mean? You have good intent. You lay down as, Lord Jesus, I thank you. And then you hear the alarm. When's the last time that you really earnestly prayed and you were devoted to it? It mattered more than so many other things in life. He also said that not only must we be watchful, but we must be thankful. He touches on this over and over in the book of Colossians. Really, it's one of those books that, that really has as much to do with thankfulness as anything. Over and over in the book, it's just it's set in there subtly. And it, it's on the end of a sentence just like it is here. But he's saying that a, a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who really recognizes what God has done for them, they're thankful, right? I don't want you to ever forget the story about the ten lepers. It said that there were ten lepers that Jesus came upon and all of them were sick and all of them needed to be healed and all of them were considered outcasts and all of them wanted nothing more than for someone to touch them and love them and care for them. And they wanted to be healed and suddenly Jesus shows up and He heals not one of them, He heals all of them. And it says that of those ten, all of them went away excited to be healed, excited for the gift that they had been given, excited for what Jesus had done. But it says that of the ten, only one came back and said what? Thank you. Only one came back to worship. You couldn't find the other nine. Do you realize that's why we meet on Sundays? I don't know why you think you come. But I can tell you why you should come. Is that you're not going to miss an opportunity. That there's nothing else more important in your life. Because I guarantee you, all nine of those men, they would have given a reason, right? Well, dude, now that I'm healed, I'm going to the beach. 
Dude, now that God took care of this problem for me, man, now I'm headed uh, to go see family. Now, I'm, I mean, they'd have given you a million reasons and a million things. But you know what one said? One was like, you know what? Nothing else in this world matters. I want to show my devotion to the one who healed me and the one who gives to me and the one who brought me life and blessed me with this blessing. I now am going to go back and be sure that I am in a place and I am in a position to be with him and with his people to celebrate what he has done for me. Folks, worship on Sunday mornings, this is us getting together. Sharing our testimonies. This is us getting together and celebrating the victories and praying over the difficulties and even celebrating and giving thanks and counting all joy when we go through those trials. We gather together for encouragement. We gather together for love. And folks, we get in this room so that we can say, thank you, Jesus. And then we get to sit in his presence. And guess what? He keeps blessing us with his word. I don't know why you'd rather be anywhere than here. When you realize what His grace has done, when you realize how He has changed your life, how can you not be thankful and worshipful? And remember, He says, devoted to this. Not just, hey, when you got a second, or hey, if you got nothing else happening. But no, this is the thing that I'm devoted to. Paul says, I also, while you're praying, he says, I want you to pray for open doors. We must pray for open doors. Now, I find it interesting. Where is Paul when this was written? Where was Paul? He was in prison. He is in jail. Now, if you were in jail and you were saying, oh, by the way, I want you to be devoted to prayer. And, and, and listen, guys, I, I, just, I want you to be serious about this prayer thing. And I want you to be thankful to God. And I have a request. What would your request have been at that point? Be honest. Uh, pray that God will get me out of here. The open door that we'd have prayed for was that, that jail cell. But do you see where Paul's heart is? Do you see how devoted to Christ he is? Do you see that he honestly believed that, you know what, my suffering might be for a reason? He wasn't sitting there thinking, hey, guys, pray because it seems like God forgot about me over here. I've been sitting in jail, and, and, and listen, me and my buddies, we need to get out, and you know what, we'll do some good ministry, God, if, if you'll just get me out of here. That wasn't his attitude at all. You know what he said? I'm in jail. God knows where I am. God knows what I'm going through. So right here, right where I am, don't ask God to change my circumstance. Ask God to open a door. That somehow through my circumstance, a door might open that I can share the gospel. And he would pray those things, and lo and behold, they'd bring a guard and they'd just lock him arm in arm and, and, and literally chain Paul to a person. That's like giving a dog raw meat, right? You know, Paul was like, thank you, Jesus. He wasn't worried about getting out of jail. He was worried about having somebody attached to him so he could witness to him. Oh, the difference in the attitudes of our hearts when we devote ourselves to prayer because things begin to really, we start to see things for as they should be. And Paul literally is saying, Lord Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my circumstances. Lord, I, I'm not asking you for an open door of this cell. I'm asking you to open the doors of opportunity and open the doors of the hearts of men. Because let me tell you something, if you're going to be faithful in your witness to Jesus Christ, you need to understand, and this is what will make you prayerful, God's not asking you to save anybody. You can't save a soul. 
All you can do is be a faithful witness. All you can do is scatter the seed of the gospel. And you know what? The seed has to hit good heart. Well, guess who gives heart? Guess who takes stony hearts and makes them soft? Guess who makes soil that was once thorny or, or was once rocky or was once so hard that seed wouldn't penetrate? Who can soften that heart so it can receive the good news? It's not you. It's not your words. It's amazing to me that Paul would always sit back and say, you know what? I'm not good with words. And I'm thinking to myself, you wrote half the New Testament. How could you not be good with words? But he didn't see it that way. You know what he saw? Listen, if Jesus ain't in it, then nothing's happening. I mean, it was crazy, the stuff that Paul would say. Constantly saying things like, you know what? I'm not going to use persuasive words because it's not the persuasiveness of my words that matter. It's the Spirit of God stirring the souls of men and the hearts of men. That's what matters. And so he's praying. He says, listen, pray for me. Give me opportunity, God. Pray for me. Give me a chance to find a heart that is receptive to the gospel in this place. You know why Paul probably had such an effective ministry in prison? Because where are people hurting more? Where are people more ready to find hope than in prison? What Paul saw was a mission field. I love what Andrew Murray has to say about prayer. And I want you to hear this. And, and, and this is our heart as we think about world missions. The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. You want to make an impact for world missions? Be one of our prayer warriors. Because we can put food in a truck. We can make our messages, we can go and, and prepare games and camps and do all of those things, but I want you to know that none of it will matter in eternity. None of it will have an effect unless the Spirit of God is working in the souls of men. The real battle in life is done in prayer. Andrew Murray also said, Beware in your prayers, above everything else, that you might not limit God. Not only in unbelief, but by fancying that you know what He can do. You need to expect unexpected things above all that we ask or we think. That means that we believe that God can do impossible things. That person you think will never be saved, why do you think that? You think God's not able? You say, well, they're too dead. Well, listen, how dead is dead? Four days dead? Lazarus was stinky dead. Lazarus was dead beyond what anybody thought somebody could come back from. And all Jesus has to do is walk in and say what? Lazarus? Come forth. There he is. You think spiritually he can't do that? What's missing so many times? Prayer. 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 See, here's the thing is we got to get on God's timetable. we got to get on God's desires. we got to get on God's plans and purposes in our prayer. Most of us want to serve God. Unfortunately, we only want to serve Him in an advisory capacity. Meaning that most of our prayers is us telling God what we want God to do rather than agreeing with God on what He wants to do and saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, 
send me. You say, well, I can't do it. Well, okay, that's everybody in the Old Testament Scripture and the New Testament Scripture. What did Moses say? God, you can't use me to go talk to Pharaoh. I, I, I don't speak well. And could you imagine, I mean, God must have been up there like, seriously? Well, God, look at me. You know, I mean, you just don't know what I'm like. God's up there going, what do you mean I don't know what you're like? I made, well, God, I'm an introvert. I know, I made you that way. Well, he's an extrovert. I know, I made him that way. Well, he likes to teach. I know, I made him that way. God made you the way he made you. And no matter how he made you, you know what he still said to you? Go and make disciples. He didn't say, after you take a personality test. After you determine what your spiritual gifts are. No, he just said, and listen, it's, it's what's recorded in Scripture. Jesus would come in and minister and heal someone, and they would come to faith in Christ. And what did they do? They just turned around, and they just went, and they had to tell somebody. They didn't say, well, um, do I have to wait till I'm done with seminary, or can I go now? Oh, wait, I mean, do I have to become a member before I tell somebody about Jesus? Or can I just, as a Christian, go tell somebody? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? We, we put all these hoops in place. And Jesus is going, why don't you just go? Why don't you just trust me? Because you know what Moses needed? He needed a binky. He needed a pacifier. And so God sometimes meets us there and he's like, okay, Moses, you don't think you can talk. How about I give you Aaron? And Moses is like... Thank you, God, because you have no idea how much better it is that I'm going to have Aaron. Oh, my goodness, you're going to do so much through Aaron. You know how many times God used Aaron for Moses? None. Moses was just a binky. He just drug around for comfort. Because when God calls you, guess what? He's going to call you, and you're going to do what he, asked him to, what he, what he has asked you to do. Now, you can get there in a roundabout way. You can throw out fleeces. God will, I mean, I mean, isn't that Gideon the same thing? I mean, he's like, you don't want to believe God. And God's like, no, I'll show you. Put a fleece down. He does it. Oh, that, that was just luck. Let's flip it around and God do it the opposite way. And then God does it again. And he's still wanting to argue and debate with God. You're not alone when you want to do that stuff. But you better get to a place where you find your faith and you allow God to advise you on where your life needs to be, not you constantly advising God on where you think your life needs to be. He also said we must pray for boldness and clarity. Over and over throughout the books that Paul has written, here he speaks to clarity many other places in books like Philippians and, and books like uh, uh, Ephesians. He talks about boldness as well. Many times those two things went together for Paul because I want you to know that Paul was no different than us. Uh, we have this idea that, you know, Paul was just this guy that probably had no emotion, no fear, no anything. He just wanted, you know, he would go out and, and just do what he did. I, I don't believe that for a second. I think when you really read what Paul wrote, you find these snippets where he's just like us and he's saying, listen, you know, I need boldness. He's going to be standing before kings. He's going to be standing before emperors. He's going to be standing before people that literally hold his life in their hands. The things that he says are going to have eternal impact or what he doesn't say. And the weight of eternity is felt on people that are seeking to speak on behalf of God. 
And even the great apostle Paul is saying, you know what, I need boldness, so will you pray for me? And not only boldness, but what else did he need? He needed clarity. That's really all that sharing the gospel is, is it's taking that which is kind of cloudy and murky and making it clear. There are a lot of people that have thoughts about Jesus or they have some understanding about God in the Old Testament or whatever. I mean, think about, think about Acts chapter 8 when the Philip and the Ethiopian unit got together. God told Philip, you need to go out in the wilderness. I have this man. He's there. He's, he's in a chariot. You'll find him if you'll just be obedient and go. And so he has to leave this great revival that's happening, this great work that God's doing in one of the cities, and he has to go out into the wilderness by himself. But God said go, so he said okay, and he gets out there, and sure enough, there's a man in a chariot, and he gets up there, and this man is reading out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, which is one of the great chapters of the Bible about the Messiah. I mean, it's like God pitched him a softball pitch. It wasn't a fastball. It was a softball. He got to swing for the fences. It would have been nothing for for Philip to be able to say, listen, this person you're reading about, let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus. He's the suffering servant. He's the lamb. I mean, there's so many ways he could have went for Jesus. I mean, I'm sure even Philip was going, thank you, Jesus, that when I walked up there, he wasn't reading Zephaniah or he wasn't in Leviticus chapter 15. He was in Isaiah 53. But remember the question. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man's response was, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? That's the gospel. That's evangelization. That's what we are called to do, is to understand our own salvation and to take our testimony and to take the word of God and to share it with other people. And he says, I need boldness and I need clarity. And folks, if we're going to be effective in ministry, then we've got to be prayerful. As we get into this next section, I want to begin by reading from Samuel Chadwick a quote that he gave. He said that the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Okay? Think about that. That's a goal for the devil about your life. He wants to keep you from praying. And let me tell you, let me share with you why and what he said about that. Because he goes on and he says, he fears nothing. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at all of our work and toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but the devil trembles when we pray. Folks, a prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless life is a powerless life. And so that leads us to the third, God calls for devotion to the lost. This is the way Paul put it in verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. So he's saying, pray for me as I'm for boldness and clarity. And he says, and listen, guys, as you're out there in the world and you're devoting yourself to God and to prayer, I want you to remember that you also need to devote yourself to those that are lost, to those that are without hope, those that don't know the gospel. And he says, you need to be wise toward outsiders. That's another way of simply saying, live your life in such a way as to impress and win them to Christ in the way that you speak, in the way that you live. He says that our walk and our talk go together. Both are mentioned in verse 5. The way that we walk, he says, walk with wisdom towards those who are outside. He's saying that the Christian is the world's Bible. 
They're watching to see whether there is any reality in our religion. The way that this works is that when you are at work and you have lost people around you, you need to walk with wisdom. You need to walk in a way that you are always cognizant that they are reading you as the Bible. If they know you're a Christian, if they don't know you're a Christian, we got another issue. But if you claim to be Christ, I mean to be a Christian, if you claim to know Christ, then here's the reality. You've got to walk wise among them. When you're having a bad day, are you going to cuss? Is that walking wise among outsiders? You think that's going to draw them to Christ? If you lose your mind? Someone does something to you and it wasn't really right? Does it mean that you walk wisely by belittling them? By returning evil for evil? By gossiping and slandering them? By going and turning other people against them? Do you see that, that what Christ is calling us to is He's saying, no, as you're among outsiders, you have to remember to walk in wisdom and walk with wisdom. Remembering that everything that you do is a reflection, not just of you, but of Jesus who you claim to follow, so walk in a way that brings people to Jesus and doesn't push them away. That is your attitude, that is your words, that is your actions. All of it ought to be something that draws people to Jesus. So he says, walk with wisdom. To those who are outside the faith, and then he says, make the most of every opportunity. So he's saying, you got to pay attention. I mean, how many of you ladies in here, you know when there's a sale, Right? That means make the most every opportunity. Uh, think about Black Friday. Everybody goes and they line up outside of stores. Why? Because you're going to get the cheapest prices. You're going to get all year. So everybody is paying attention to Black Friday and what those sales are and what those sales mean and what they want as gifts for Christmas. And whenever it comes time, you are going to redeem the time. You're going to be there to get what it is that you want. He's saying, you know what? That's what it ought to be with outsiders. That we are always looking for every opportunity to share Jesus with them. And you say, well, how do I know when they're ripe to hear the gospel? Let me tell you how simple evangelism is. It's listening. They're going to say to you, I lost someone in my family this week. That is a chance for you to talk about Christ. They're going to say to you, you know what? I haven't been to church in 20 years, but a friend invited me and I went. And man, I have a lot of questions. Somebody says something like that to you, you got two choices. You will either go, huh, that's cool, I'll be praying for you. Or what can you do? You can engage them in a conversation because you realize that, wow, I've got to redeem the time. This may be the last chance they have to hear the gospel, and they just opened a door. Witnessing is listening. And people will invite you into their life, but most times we're just not paying attention. We're too busy, we're focused on the wrong things, and our job is our job, and we don't see our job as our mission field. And he's saying to us, listen, you got to be wise, you got to make the most of every opportunity. And then he says, and you have to offer words that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Let me say, let me just interpret that for you. Don't be a stick in the mud. Christians, let me tell you, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to have fun. Play cards. Dance, the pastor said so. Quit being sticks in the mud. Learn to enjoy life. 
Don't violate scripture. And just so you know, the Bible don't say don't dance and don't play cards. So I didn't just tell you to sin. I told you, quit listening to what people tell you. Is Learn to enjoy life. Open up your home and fellowship with people. And have conversations that are meaningful and good and happy. And listen, the reason we do this, because see, some of us, we read that verse and we think, oh, the Bible says be salty to people. That's how some of y'all live. They're not telling you to be salty. It's saying be seasoned with salt. That's different than being salty. You know who's going to probably be the most rude on the internet? Christians. You know who can be meanest? Christians. You know who just has to be right and get the last word? Christians. Jesus is saying, listen, when you talk to people, use words that are gracious. Kind, compassionate, gentle. Care for their souls. Let them through your words know that you love them and you care about them. And let your word be seasoned with salt. He's not talking about preservative nature of salt. He's talking about salt does what besides preserves? What's the other thing it does? It gives flavor and it gives taste. He's saying Christians have a tendency to be so bland. That's what he's saying. Just stuck in fuddy-duddy sometimes. He's saying stop it. If anybody ought to be able to enjoy life, it ought to be who? Believers, we're free. We're forgiven. And we just close with this. And Kevin and the band can come. He just says, lastly, Christ's call for devotion to each other. When we talk about devotion to each other, it's what finishes in the rest of these. And I'm just going to speak to them very quickly. Because what he does is he mentions a bunch of names. And you would say, well, these are nobodies. Hear me, there is not a nobody in the kingdom of God. You may not know their name, but God knows their name. They may not be uh, to the level of what we consider a Paul or an apostle like Peter or James or John. We may not recognize their name, but I want you to know that these people have made an impact on the life of the apostle Paul and the life of this church. And Paul is reminding them, he's just saying, you know what, let's be thankful together. Let's be devoted to each other because as I look at the landscape, he says, we are surrounded by faithful men and women. And he says, I want you to look at this guy. Why? Because he is a great encourager to me. I'm sitting here in jail. I'm cold. I'm half naked. Listen, there's rats running around me, and I, in ways, am miserable. But God has given me a ministry here. And this brother, he comes and he encourages me. He says, I want you to look at this brother. Remember John Mark? He says, listen, this brother, uh, a few years ago, he and I didn't get along so good. He kind of abandoned me in ministry, and, and I really got sideways with him. And I said, you know what? You're done. I'm not going to give you another chance. And then Barnabas came along and said, Paul, where would you be if I didn't give you a second chance? And he said, you know what I've come to realize? He was young, and he was struggling. But you know what? I look at him, and He's a faithful man of God. Welcome him. 
He says, this guy here, oh my gosh. He says, he is my fellow arrestee. He says, this guy, when I get arrested, he's the one that's always right there with me. When people start picking up rocks to stone me, he's the one that's getting hit with those same rocks. This guy is faithful to the point that no matter what it costs me, I look to my right or my left and there he is in chains beside me. And he just goes over and over these names. And so I want to ask you today, what are you devoted to? There's many things you can answer. Family. Jobs. Hobbies. You see, Jesus did not call you to be divided. He called you to be devoted. What is dividing your time to the point that you really aren't devoted to Jesus? You look at a list like that and you're like, are those mission things? And you're like, oh man, I couldn't do that. God, I'm not your guy. I'm not your girl. God, I, I, I don't have time. God, I, I, listen, I got an important job. Well, everybody does. Do you have the courage to step in to world missions? And whatever your excuse is, lay it aside. Devotion to Christ, to prayer, to the lost, to the body of Christ. I just want you to search your heart today and figure out where and how are you devoted. Father, search us today. You know us. You see us. You understand us better than we understand ourselves. And Lord, what we need for you today is to shine a light on us, Lord, to show us the truth about ourselves. That if we cannot answer that we truly are devoted to you through quiet times, through prayer, through your mission, through commitment to the body of Christ, to, to the lost around us. Lord, if, if we aren't truly devoted, I'm not saying that we don't, it's an issue of understanding we have an obligation, but are we committed? Are we devoted? And Lord, if the answer is no today, then I pray that we would get before you and, and we would change that. And Lord, that you would stir in our heart a desire for devotion, a desire for commitment, a desire to live out our faith and our walk closely with you that we would not forsake the only relationship that matters in eternity for trivial things for idols that can't satisfy so Lord as we sit in this place there are people in here that the first prayer they need to pray is a prayer of salvation they're here today and they don't know you as Lord and Savior they don't know that you died for them until they came here today. They've heard the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's supreme because He's the one who gave His life so that we could live. You died on the cross, Jesus, to forgive us. And Lord, anyone that prays to You, repenting of their sins, seeking Your forgiveness, believing that on the cross You died and You took away their sin. You died in their place, paying the price for their sin and my sin, and Lord, what you call us to is surrender, to, to lay down our life and to pick up the life you have for us, to let you have control. Father, if there's someone here that wants to give their life 
to you, that wants to surrender and submit themselves to you and find forgiveness and freedom, God, may they pray today to ask you for that. Lord, you will hear their prayer. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that, God, you raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So, Lord, may today be that moment that someone cries out to you and begins a devotion and prayer at this first step. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. Change me. Use me. And Lord, for the rest of us, speak to our hearts. Help us to be honest with ourselves in this moment and to submit ourselves fresh and new to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's mocking. He's impure in his thoughts. He's immorally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a prince of princes. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king.